Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you've joined us today. Happy New Year. We normally have a number of announcements according to our five practices of fruitful congregations. It's a simple day. It's a simple week. It's a simple weekend. So I'll just encourage you to look at your bulletin, take it home with you, and see some of the written announcements. The one thing I'll point out to you is we have a Wednesday dinner coming up. It's normally the first Wednesday. It's the second Wednesday this month. There's a note in there about it. Uh, Don Chapke is going to be our program for the night. We'll walk over after dinner, um, and he'll play music music for us. It will be amazing. If you would like to come to that, it's very simple. And the attendance register, as it comes by, just put uh, the meal and um, how many adults and how many children will come, and you'll be registered for the meal. Um, if you would like to take a poinsettia home with you today, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, let's begin our service, if you'll stand, uh, with our first hymn, number 251. with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Scripture lesson today is Isaiah 61:10 through 62:3 and is found on page 11:58 in your pew Bible. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soul makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for a text today in which we read of tremendous encouragement of a young boy going into the temple brought by his family, encouraged by those who were there. Help us, Lord, as we read this text to realize elements that we have in our space in which we can encourage one another in our songs, in our prayers, in our scripture, in our proclamation, in our gathering before, in our greeting after. Use this space, Lord, as a place of tremendous encouragement to one another. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught His disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and you can give as the plate goes by. You can give electronically with instructions in the bulletin. And if you're new to our community, we certainly don't expect you to give. You can rely on the generosity of our people. They're very generous.
Please be seated. I want to thank Miss Betty Ward for being with us and playing uh, as Don is on vacation. Betty is a dear friend going way back with Renessa. Not only do we get Don and Renessa every week, we get a large friend network because they treat their friends so well and we're grateful that you're here today. Thank you. You're going to see, I didn't say it, but you're going to see changes coming in the next seven weeks to our chancel. The organ is going to be moved to where the Christmas tree is. The chairs are going, the pews are going to be turned this way. And um, there's going to be more seating capacity while maintaining uh, the current beauty of the space. But in the next um, six, seven, eight weeks, you'll see us down on the floor as we continue uh, to revise that. Speaking of that, worship communities. If we added up the number of worship communities that all of us have collectively experienced, it would be a huge number. A number of you have seen a number of different places with a number of different styles in a number of different buildings. I'll give you two extreme examples for me. I was in a Catholic church, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, hundreds of years old and ornate and beautiful and uh, had an enormously long aisle and arches and the liturgy was incredibly specific. The dress uh, was ornate. The service was filled with um, all sorts of scents and things that were going on and the beauty of that space is just remarkable. It felt a little intimidating to me to be in that space and to worship in that fashion with that liturgy. And I'm assuming there's times in which the service has been intimidating to you for one reason or another. But despite that, the beauty of the space, the beauty of the liturgy, of the word that was proclaimed uh, was unmistakable. I've also been at Rural Mission, which is on John's Island, just before Kiowa in Seabrook. It was a summer internship for nine weeks in college that was one of the major footholds in my path to ministry, in which we helped people fix homes who could not afford to do it. And by that I mean I drove people around who knew how to fix homes for people that did not know how to do it. I would learn what the people needed, I would tell the leaders, and then I would go get them a hammer and some nails. In that worship, which was out in the backyard, on one of those amazing tidal creeks that would rise and fall, it was led by the Holy Spirit. You might say those that love that liturgy, love that structure, would say it's just drawn up in the dirt, there's no order to it. But those that love that service would say it's led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, that was intimidating to me as well. You might not know why it would be intimidating to be in that space. But in one instance, there were these ladies of John's Island who were praying and started praying in tongues. Which is fine. Except we were in a circle. And we were in one of those circles in which everyone in the circle is going to pray. And so it was going around and I thought, this is going to come around to me. It came around to me. And instead of just skipping it, I promise you, I went, I promise. The other intern 
the other intern, the other intern was like this and went. Horrifying. Of the embarrassing things that y'all seen me do, you don't even know, you don't even know the total. I'm much sharper and much stronger now than I've ever been. <laughs> you can imagine. Think of those two worship spaces and how different they are, yet they worship the same thing. They have the same purpose. They have the same text, but for different biblical translations. The church in the nativity in Bethlehem, hundreds of years old, sitting directly beside the church that's thousands of years old, on the spot in which Jesus was born, in a sea island community beside a tidal creek, worship the same thing. Read the same thing. Despite location, despite structure, despite style, of which many of you have seen very many different ones, it has the same purpose. So let's read about that today. Luke 2, starting with verse 22. It's on page 1591 in your pew Bible. If you'd like to read along, and I'll read different parts, so if you want to keep reading along, if you'll keep your Bible open. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So ritual and the Holy Spirit. On the ritual side, you have the law of Moses. When everyone thinks of Jesus being in total rebellion of anything that ever was, he wasn't. Now, he did it a different way, of which his detractors said he's defying everything that ever was, and in no way, shape, or form could be any kind of leader to us because he doesn't follow our law. It's not true. His parents embraced the law and took him one of the few instances of Jesus as an adolescent is of him going to the temple in order to fulfill this promise that was made. Not only in the synagogue, but they take him to the temple. But in the temple, the place of the highest worship there is for these people, in this major place, in this beautiful section, in this, is this man who has served there for a great deal of time, who's led by the Holy Spirit. Now you might say, now, we don't need that Holy Spirit. We, we have structure. We have order here. But this man who loves structure and order 
is led by the Holy Spirit to be in that place at that time. And it rested upon Him. You know, sometimes you just get the sense with a person that they have something to say, something significant. Sometimes that person is you, that you have something significant to say. And there's something about showing up. And you don't know what's going to happen, what special thing is going to happen which is led by the Holy Spirit. It's why we come every week to this place. We do not know the special thing that's going to happen. In Miss Carm Hudson's celebration of life, I knew it was going to be special. I knew that her children and grandchildren were going to say special things. I knew Miss Margie was going to sing. But there was something about the Christmas setting and her standing there with the Christmas tree singing that song that was unlike anything I had ever seen in a service. You just don't know what the special thing's going to be. Or if there's going to be multiple special things in that place and it's why we come, isn't it? It's why you go to a children's Christmas play. It's why you go to a baseball game. It's why you go to anything that you treasure because you know that something special in this place is going to happen today. Can't do it without showing up, which is exactly what he did. It's exactly what Jesus' parents did. Verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Is that all good news? There's some troubling stuff in there too. He says, according to your son, some people will rise. And according to his actions, some people will fall. Why would people fall who were already there? What causes people who consistently attend worship and spend time in church communities, faith communities, to grow negative? Could be we're overworked. Could be we're asked to do too much. Could be fatigued before we ever walk on campus. It could be that we figure that something special has not happened and it's not going to happen. And we cannot let anything change because this is as bad as it can get for us. You ever feel that way in church? You ever experience such a negativity in a faith community or a group outside the church that's trying to do something good in which the momentum has stalled to such a level that uh, this is not working. And when someone comes in with an idea or a notion or a new direction or a new vision, some people are truly excited about it and say, yes, thank you. And some people cannot have it. We've got to do the thing that we're doing. It will work again. That's what Simeon says. 
He says, some will rise and some will fall. However, the significant part is, he lists the Gentiles and the people of Israel. There's been no mention of that. These people are hearing that their faith, which is based on their nationality, which is called upon to defend only their nation and prosper their nation and their people against other nations that surround them that want to crush them and often do because they're so small. Simeon says he will be a blessing to the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Of which many people would like to say, can you do that? Can you do both? Can you somehow reach both sets of people who might have similar concepts about their faith but figure there's nothing about that person that I want to accept? It's a tall order. But it's something that Simeon feels is important to emphasize. He says he will reach people with no previous connection. No previous connection to the church. You know how hard that is to do? with people who are not accustomed to going. How many gyms do you drive by? What would it take to walk into one? Right? How many libraries do you drive by? What would it take for you to walk into one? How many gas stations do you pass? What would it take for them to get you to walk in there and buy gas from them? It's so hard to get people to break in when they're accustomed to going to the exact place that they go. He says he's going to draw people that have no connection. He says he's going to draw people that do have connection, which might be equally difficult because he's going to go a different way. He's going to have a different way of saying it. He's going to have a different vision in the people who, exist, who have existed there who feel that they have done it the way that they're going to do it are going to be drawn to him. That's significant. You know the most significant part that he says? He's going to draw people who have lost connection. Lost connection to God and the significance of being in this place. You know how hard that is? That is the hardest. Getting someone to come 49, that already comes 49 weeks a year to continue coming 49 weeks a year is not an incredible challenge. They come. Getting someone to come who hasn't often come that's interested in your space but has never been is kind of challenging, but if you can be welcoming to them, be friendly and invite them to different things, that's fine. But getting someone who's been harmed, getting someone who figures that there's no point in it, getting someone who thinks that God has abandoned them or that they've done something to abandon God and have no connection, that is remarkably difficult to get them to come back. And that's exactly what Simeon says Jesus will do in front of his parents. What would it be like to be a parent and hear that about your child? That this is the thing that your child is going to do. To bring those with no previous connection, to restore the connection of people who are there, and to bring people back who have long gone angry, sad, or bitter. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. 
She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She, was nev she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Does I have to say she was really old? Is that necessary? <laughs> My mother wouldn't like that. Why does it have to say that she was very old? And then give a number. Is it to emphasize the significance of her coming day in, day out? I think if I were to make it to 84 and I were coming day in and day out to a faith community and praying after starting at 22 in this profession, I guess I'd have to celebrate that. And her in that moment, she wanted to celebrate this child who had come to the temple in order to fulfill the requirement of the law. Does that sound like fun? Uh, son, we're going to the church today to fulfill the requirement of the law. Does that sound amazing? Hmm. And sometimes it doesn't feel amazing. I've been in all sorts of different churches that had programs for children and youth. And when we said, you're going to come for 12 weeks, 24 weeks, 36 weeks on this night, you need to be here, it's required, you start to see parents go, we got to do what? we got to be here how much? You think they ever felt that way? Mary and Joseph. To come all the way to the temple from their home. And when it feels exclusively like a requirement, it can absolutely feel that way. But in the midst of that, it says there was worship. There was joy. There was hope. Anna praising every day, praising God, and Simeon praising Jesus as well as Anna. And finally, the last thing that's so significant to me, it says the child grew up and became strong. The child grew up and became strong. Jesus himself had to be taken to church by his parents. Jesus was taken by his parents to the temple to recognize the significance of God's call and commitment on his life. This little boy who would inspire people who love high church worship. This little boy who would inspire people who love to express themselves in the Holy Spirit. This little boy who would inspire everyone in between had to be brought to church by his parents. And guess what happened when he went? The people surrounding him encouraged him. So the promises that we make, we did it just two weeks ago in a baptism in which we say we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness. May we continue to strengthen our ability to encourage one another to live in the life of God. Because Jesus' parents took him, because the church community celebrated his arrival, 
because he took that faith far from the temple and made it to Greer, South Carolina in 2018. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand as you're able and join us for our final hymn, number 229. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.